Hi there. Welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, used to work in broadcasting. Ron and I have been acquainted for a lot of years. We started up this little podcast enterprise trying to educate people about investing. We've touched on so many areas, and this one is the fifth installment in the real estate category, Ron. There's been so much to so much information to divest here and to, and to cover. We, we One thing we want to get into now, we want to talk about real estate investment trust. Now, this is something you can buy through your broker, correct? Yes. It's companies, essentially, that are structured to buy real estate, and generally, they're set up as a trust, so they can flow income through to you on a tax-free, or not tax-free, but tax-efficient basis. So there's they're very, very popular. And uh, last show, we'd actually covered uh, rental properties and things like that. And one area we sort of missed was the commercial property. Commercial properties are generally big ticket items. And unless you have significant capital, it's very hard to invest in. So one of the things that is an advantage for a REIT is the fact that you can get exposure to office towers, you can get exposure to hotels, you can apartment buildings, apartment buildings, old age homes, warehouses and things like that, where typically you wouldn't have enough capital to do it on your own. But with a real estate investment trust, it gives you exposure to something you normally would not have the financial resources uh, to get access to. And I, I can speak just anecdotally uh, as an investor over the years. I've owned REITs on, on and off on occasion, and uh, they have done exceedingly well. How have they performed, in your opinion? Well, there's a study that goes from 1960 to 2015, and it looks at the return of various types of investments. And of course, it's done by a professor, so it's given this majestic name of historical returns of the market portfolio. And this research came to a simple conclusion. REITs have consistently clobbered stocks, bonds, and virtually everything else over this period between 1960 and 2015. That's 55 years. REITs delivered an annual compound return adjusted for inflation. So without inflation calculation in there, these numbers would be higher, but they're still comparative numbers. So REITs delivered 6.43%, stocks 5.45%, non-government bonds 3.5%, and government bonds 306 So, As Howard Cosell would say, no contendere. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Very, very good solid rates of return from REITs. So here again, uh, a real estate investment trust one of the the advantages, as we talked about, is simply most people don't have the money for a big ticket item. And also with REITs, because there's so many different types of REITs. If you want to own a REIT that, uh, a storage REIT, you can do it. There's so many different types and you can get diversification. So you can put a small amount of money in one type, a small amount of money in another. Uh, There's real estate uh, REITs that only specializes in cold storage facilities, for example. And if you're trying to get a new product into a market, like you want to get a product into Edmonton and it has a shelf life, well, you need to put it in a storage facility. So there's so many ways that you can slice the REIT market and you can get an incredible amount of diversification by by doing so. Okay, now let's talk about some of the issues surrounding REITs. Taxation has to be one. Yes, generally if you're getting a REIT, 
you're going to get a tax slip, which if they buy and sell properties, you're going to get some capital gains. So you get literally you're taxed at half the rate you would on normal income. On these businesses, they're going to rent properties. And so you're either going to get foreign business income, non-business income, or you're going to get other income. And that's the revenue, rental revenue that generally comes from these holdings. The ones that that is the most confusing for people is the return of capital. And you can look at that as the amount the company is giving you back on your investment. So if I lent you a dollar and you paid me back 10 cents, my loan outstanding to you would be 90 cents. So you pay me back 10 cents, that's not tax because it's money that I'm getting back. It's called return of capital. Return of capital is referred to as reduction in your adjusted cost base. So if you paid $10 for a REIT, and you got 50 cents worth of return of capital back, it means that your new cost price would be $9.50. You want to track that because eventually, if you get lots of return of capital back, your cost base might get down to two or three dollars. And if the read had gone to 15, you could have considerable uh, tax consequences. But return of capital and capital gains are just ways that they can flow money through to you in a very, very tax efficient manner. So you should look at REITs as a way to get a rate of return on your money and a very, very tax efficient way of doing so. What about efficiency? Are they, uh, are they pretty well run? They usually are, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, and here again, you know, where we talked about in previous shows where you want to sit down with your contractors, negotiate a price so that you're not just paying a one-off price on things. But REITs, if they have a big portfolio of real estate, they already have plumbers and accountants and landscapers and maintenance people and people to collect rent, people to find tenants. They've got marketing. They do all that already. It's all under their employee. Yeah, yeah, all under their employee. So you put the money in and you get their quarterly statements, which you get to look at, but you don't get the distressed phone calls at 3 o'clock in the morning wanting you to fix the toilet or, or the door won't close and it's minus 30. So they have an efficiency that because of their size, they're able to contract down their costs and make it much more efficient than the average person can do. Okay, let's talk about some different types of REITs, because as you say, there are so many of them, and you've listed a few here. Let's start with office towers. So the health of this sector is tied to corporate profitability. These things can have a little bit more volatility attached to them. A good example is Dream Office REIT, which is a Canadian REIT. The symbol is D.UN. And what we want to do here is, is we'll give you examples of different types of REITs. And if you go look up Office Tower online or uh, Office REITs, you know, you can very easily come up with a list of them. And what we're trying to do is just give you an example of each area for you to start doing some homework in. So, again, Office Towers, that's... Uh uh, Dream Office REIT D.UN. Retail space. Oh boy. <laughs> now, this is one of the riskiest parts of the REIT market because North America has about three times, as we've said in the past, as much retail space per capita as Europe. And with increased competition from e commerce, retailers tend to be dropping like flies. If you want to get into this space, buy shopping centers that have a major anchor retailer like Smart Center's REIT, frankly, has Walmart as their anchor tenant. Walmart doesn't look like it's going away, or, or that has an anchor tenant like Canadian Tire or a Superstore. You know, those guys are going to be around. But if you have a REIT that has retail that, 
that with no major anchor in it, unless they have extraordinarily good properties, many of these properties are going to be closed and repurposed for other uses. So smartreit.un, sru.un, for example, has Walmart uh, stores. That is a good example of one that has an anchor retailer that's going to be around. Okay, let's talk about multifamily. This is, uh, I guess there's a lot of those out there, aren't there? Yeah, and this is my favorite one, and this is where I have about 80% of my read exposure is in multifamily. And and this is considered probably the most conservative of the REIT subsectors because people always need a place to live. In the current environment where home ownership is out of reach for a number, especially in major centers like the Greater Toronto or Greater Vancouver area, rent is often just about the only option. And a couple of examples to look at would be Northview, uh, which is nvu.un, or Canadian Apartment REIT, which is cap.un. Commercial and industrial. It's important to have quality tenants because this is a cyclical sector. A good example of this would be Granite REIT, which has some of the Magna industrial sites, and they've been diversifying into other areas. But uh, commercial and industrial, especially you have a, a, a company that makes things, and they, you're leasing them a building and um, the property attached to it. You can also have warehouse uh, that actually, I, I had it as a separate item, but you can include that there. And this is a big trend because you have so many people now doing online shopping and you need warehouse space. So that could be included in commercial and industrial, and that's also an area that Granite is in. It's just a good example, but you have to be careful because the lease rates are going to be dependent on whether a company stays there. If it consolidates and moves out, uh, these things can be more volatile than, than multifamily. And I would think just uh, just watching in my observations as I drive around the city of Edmonton, how much warehouse space got built here in the last you know couple of decades, it's mind-boggling. And it seems to me that a lot of them sit empty for quite some time. So there, there's a little bit of risk involved here, right? you got to be careful what you're doing? Yes. Okay. All right, let's move on. Retirement and assisted living. Uh, I would think probably pretty big growth there. Yeah, the demographics are definitely on your side. And as the population gets older there's going to be more and more demand for seniors housing. Generally, where you want to be is if you can build these communities, especially, um, and you can focus on people that need a place to live, but they don't need nursing, you know, they don't need 24-hour-a-day medical care because the government gets involved when there's 24-hour medical Medical care, yeah. Yeah, and they, they put restrictions on on these things and it's harder to make money. So a couple examples of this are Chartwell Senior Residences, which is CSH.UN, and Sienna Senior Living, which is SIA. And technically these guys aren't real estate investment trusts, but they do flow through income to you. So they're generally lumped in with this category. You mentioned lodging. What, what exactly do you mean there? Uh, hotels, motels, okay. those kind of things. And those are very, very cyclical businesses. I've never ever own one and you know if you get an economy that's growing and people are traveling a lot and staying in these places yeah they can do well but here again you've got airbnb and a lot of other competitive forces that are coming on the scene vrbo yeah vrbo and and all these other things so this is more of an aggressive area and it's an area that that i personally just because of the risk and all the the competitive features i've stayed away from Medical. We touched on that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Doctors, 
dentists, physiotherapists. Chiropractors. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. I mean, I go to my, my doctor's been in the same building for 25 years. My dentist has been in the same building for 30 years. The physio I go to has been in the same building for 40 years. These guys are like trees that put down roots. Once they're in, they never leave. They're there forever. Talk to most people, and it very seldom do they find that their medical practitioners move around. They pretty much stay where they are. And because of that, you fill a, a, a medical facility up, and you get very, very stable rentals. And so a good example of this is Northwest Healthcare Properties, NWH.UN, and it trades on Toronto. And Warehouse, which is our last category, and I've already lumped that in with uh, commercial uh, and warehouse space. Okay, now what about investing internationally in real estate? We sort of nibbled at the edge of that a couple of episodes back. I brought it up, but what do you think there? Well, I think one of the things that most people don't think of when they're looking at investing internationally is the fact that if you want to get out, if you want to leave your citizenship behind and get citizenship elsewhere, for example, if you buy a place in Malta, uh, you buy a place in Portugal, you buy a place in Spain, because this was ground zero of the big real estate meltdown that they had in Europe, they'll often, as a bonus, give you residency. And if you go to Portugal, for example, and have a place and you've got residency, well, it means that you can move around in the rest of Europe because it's a... Uh, part of the EU. Yeah, part of the EU, and it's, uh, it's a zone where you, you, you're not stopped at the borders and asked for identification. So if you're looking at a ticket to get a passport into another uh, area like the Caribbean or Europe, Real estate is probably not a bad buy. But generally, because tax rules and ownership restrictions for foreigners require a lot of time and energy to sort out. Like if you're going to Mexico, the rules are very different than the U.S. In the U.S., they're very different. They've got estate taxes. If you're going to France, very, 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 very different. You really want to get some professional help before you do it. And the rules tend to change. And unless you're up on them, you can end up with properties that can be very, very hard to sell. So especially with foreign, unless you're buying in a resort area in the U.S., like you're going down to Arizona, that's not too big an issue. You probably still want to get some tax help. But anything beyond that, be very, very careful. If you're looking at internationally, you know, here again, you can buy uh, real estate stock like the Brookfield Property Partners. They're in South America, North America. They're in industrial. They're in multifamily. They own they own all kinds of things, hotels. So it just gives you a broad brush exposure to an international market. Or the iShare Global Real Estate ETF, which is a basket of real estate stocks globally. And the symbol is uh, CGR. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned the uh, Brookfield Property Partners. Their symbol is BPY.UN. Yeah, and they got a very nice yield of f- over 4%. So these are some examples. There's more out there. But generally, if you're investing outside of the uh, United States, uh, you're, I think, just to save yourself all the pain and aggravation that goes with it, you're far better off looking at a REIT. Okay, there you go. Real estate, big, big topic. I think we've pretty much covered it all. On the off chance we missed something. If you have a question or you'd like more clarity, you can contact us directly, uh, send us an email, and ask us a question through the cfcw.com website. The show is Making Money. The link is there. Or you can go to our website, letsmakemoney.ca, and that will come straight straight to our inbox, and we'd be happy to, to try to clear up the mystery that we left behind. Real estate, 
big area of investing, but one that can be very central to cementing your financial future. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll join you next time. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.